I will never write a single line which I have not first felt in my own heart. He'll teach you everything. Truer words were never spoken. All right. Language and writing were made available. writing this down. This is good stuff. And hello, everybody. We're back again. Hi, I'm John. This is John Helps You Write Better. So maybe today we could learn how to write better. Who knows? Today, I want to pick up from where we left off yesterday. Yesterday, if you haven't heard already, and presumably you have, if not, go backwards one thing and wherever you you cast your pods and go listen to yesterday's episode on how to take apart a story for character. Now we're going to take apart a story and look at plot, subplot, and just a little bit of genre. And why I'm grouping all three of those things together, other than the obvious fact that plot and subplot naturally work together, I'm putting genre in because at this point, if we take our character stuff and add it to the mix, we have to start looking at how genre plays an impact in terms of what all the character elements and what all the plot elements are or could be. First, let's think about genre not in terms of you know, it needing certain things like a genre, like science fiction doesn't need spaceships or a fantasy story doesn't need elves. It's, it's not like a, a, a checklist where we're ticking off items. What we're looking for and what we're aiming for is to understand how genre is sort of like a, like a slalom or an obstacle course where we have to navigate certain elements in order to meet the requirements of the genre where we have to, you know, we might not need elves for our fantasy novel, let's say, but we do certainly need some level of uh, a kind of unreality or whether that's a supernatural or paranatural or extraordinary or in some other way magical medieval um, creature set or being or skill or object or stuff. We need to take the expectations the reader have of a normal world and affect them in a set of certain ways. And we get to pick and choose whether that's, you know, we're going to add elves and dwarves or whether we're going to make this medieval or whether we're going to have, you know, secretly everybody in high school is wearing chain mail, whatever it might be. And however it might be genre acts as a, a set of hurdles and obstacles, not so much to prevent story, but to add challenge and add constraint and add boundaries and add um, a less linear, less flat, less boring way of getting a character from one point to another or having a conflict happen in a story. That's, that's genre. Now, genre in this obstacle course can also impact what a plot is versus what a plot isn't or what a plot can do versus what a plot can't do. Because some plot types don't fit in some genres. Like you wouldn't tell a story like Lord of the Rings lensed entirely in the same way that you would tell a story like A Tale of Two Cities. While you know, there are multiple cities in Lord of the Rings. They're not the same kind of story. You wouldn't tell um, something like Star Wars in the same way you'd tell something like The Count of Monte Cristo. Or Dracula is not all that very similar to The Notebook. And it's hard to kind of 
mush them together and make that work without adding extra things or taking things away. The, what, I'm, what I'm trying to point out here is that think about your plot not in terms of a straight escalating line like a 45-degree angle. Think about your plot as something more serpentine, something more fluid, something more bendy and flexible. And one of the reasons why it's bendy and flexible is because of genre. The other reason why a plot is bendy and flexible is because of the impact and the amount of things that happen, can happen, do happen, need to happen, will happen because of how characters engage with it. And this is where we start taking story apart. So go grab whatever story you're reading and let's start laying out just like we did for characters. Let's start laying out an ordered sort of hierarchy of plot. Where does the plot start? How does the plot start? In what following scenes, in what order, do we, the reader, gain plot information? When does the plot get harder? What happens, and we can zoom in a little bit here, what happens, so if we develop the plot a little, what's the immediate consequence of that development? If we find the muddy footprint in our murder mystery, what happens immediately thereafter? When does the challenge really clearly escalate? When does all of a sudden a goon come in and tell us to stop investigating? When do we get a threatening phone call to drop the lawsuit because we're a young lawyer on our first case? When does the whole town realize that, gasp, we are dating some, you know, the bad boy with the motorcycle and the town begins to pressure us and ostracize us? When do those things happen relative to the positive accomplishments of plot? I'm asking because they always happen. They, they don't necessarily have to happen in some definite spoken contracted way, but they, they have to happen because they're somewhat expected. And when they don't happen, and I'm not, we'll talk about subversion in a minute, but when, when they are absent from story, there's a loss of potential. There's a, lot, there's a sense that, oh, it, it just didn't, the story didn't, didn't do as much. Oh, all right, it's not the end of the world, but at the same time, you're really sort of leaving stuff on the table and you're, you're leaving potential engagement with the reader kind of behind when you don't include some of those more uh, assertive obstacles in our, um, in our obstacle course based in genre and plot. Let's continue dissecting our plot. Yesterday, remember, we talked about where does our character arc intercept our plot? Now we're going to talk about why it has to most of the time. Not an always thing. Not an every character arc has to be a mirror or constantly braided together with plot. But there are times when it's good and valuable to do something with it. There are times where it's really, really a nice idea because it simplifies storytelling or it makes things more impactful or it's just plain easier to tell the story you want to tell when you do it. So when we smush these two things together, when we connect these dots, when we make part of the character arc and the advancement of the character arc related to or in some way entangled with the evolution and progression of a main plot, what we're trying to suggest is that in order to do one thing, this other thing also has to be worked on and developed. So if we have a uh, down-on-his-luck alcoholic detective who's trying to solve a particular case, then the challenge and frustration of not really having any clues may tempt our detective to return to the bottle. Their struggle with sobriety might be um, 
sort of the the underlying threat of not dealing with the case or the case's challenges may directly relate to the reasons why our character is seeking sobriety or developing alcoholism or worsening their state. And that relationship and that dynamism allows that threat, if depending on how we lens it, that threat or that gain or that loss or that stop or that knowledge or that um, that that um, relationship the reader has to character and the relationship the reader has to sobriety and alcoholism and drinking in general, it allows us to take that element of that feeling and constantly bring it forward in story so that it's not a thing that all of a sudden we talk about like two times and then it goes away. That's why connecting uh, character arc to main plot makes a difference. And if that happens in the story you're reading, where does it happen? Where does it happen relative to how far into the story it comes? Is it right away? Is it deep in? How far in? What other plot elements did we learn first or see first before we got really uh, into the case of entangling our character arc with our main plot? And it's at this point we probably should talk about subplots. Subplots are plots in miniature. They're, they're plots that involve or engage non-main characters in order to get stuff done. So where do our subplots start? Do they start in advance of our main plot? Do they start in tandem with our main plot? Do they start um, just after? Do they start as a consequence of the main plot? Where do your subplots happen? How are they developed? Again, it's going to be, you know, another hierarchical progressive list. This to this to this to this to this happens, and that's our our subplot. And again, much like we talked about yesterday, figure out where the climax is. Do all our climaxes synchronize? Do our does our character arc synchronize with our main plot climax? Do our subplots if there's more than one or if there isn't even just one, that's fine. But do our subplot climaxes synchronize with our main plot climaxes and our character arc climaxes? It's probably worth pointing out that your character arc is functionally itself a subplot, but sometimes your character arc can be your main plot. It has that duality. But by and large, we really want to keep an eye on how the plot progresses at what times, in what ways, and how it advances. And when we look at something like where it starts and where it climaxes, we're really trying to figure out if things synchronize. If all the story stuff, I'm making air quotes, if all the story stuff more or less starts at the same time, does it more or less also climax at the same time, which means it more or less also likely resolves at the same time. Whether or not that's a good thing, whether or not that's a critical story thing, whether or not that's a you know, just a happenstance quirk of writing is entirely underneath your control. That's something you can handle. There's no expectation from a publisher and there's no expectation from a reader. And it's, you know, readers are used to the sort of idea that everything sort of wraps up at the same time and starts at kind of sort of the same time and hits the climax somewhere in, in that middle range between those two points. But there's no magic rule. There's no specific thing that says, ah, you're in chapter 30. That's where the climax has to be. There's there's nothing like that at all. You can climax really wherever. Climax all over the place. Because ultimately this story is your own and ultimately what we're trying to do is see the progression of plot and figure out how to dissect it in somebody else's work so that you can model your own work. Not, not, not steal, 
I'm not trying to say like, oh, take the plot of that book and make it yours. I mean more like, see how they do this kind of story. Here, see how a legal thriller works. If you're writing a legal thriller following this blueprint of, okay, so we get clue, clue, challenge, clue, challenge, challenge, clue, 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 success, small success, big success, climax, resolution. If, if you're writing something like that, having that blueprint does not mean that your story is going to be like this other story because you're not taking the specific elements. Well, we have to have a dog and we have to have a girlfriend and we have to have a boyfriend and we have to have two kids. Like you don't have to lift those pieces, but you've got to at least look and see how to assess certain elements. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is there a loss here? Is there a victory here? Is the character challenged? Does this speak to arc? Does this speak to character plot? Is this a subplot? Is this what the bad guy's doing? Is this what the good guy's doing? All those questions, no matter what the specific thing is, whether it's going to the grocery store or taking the kids to school or a car blows up or we spend three pages talking about a horse, whatever it is, um, identify it for what it is in in broad pieces, in, in classification, and then see that it helps you build a roadmap that you can follow when your own story, whatever it might be, gets stuck or you're not sure how it's supposed, making air quotes again, supposed to go. And that's not because we're trying to get every story to sound the same or feel the same or do the same stuff. It's again, that in order to navigate our genre obstacle course, we have to follow within the bounds of expect, you know, expectation when it comes to obstacle courses. You know, sure, we can totally defeat any obstacle course by getting in a helicopter and flying from one end to the other or using magic bouncy shoes that allow us to leap 30 feet in the air and then just jump over the damn thing. But if we could also cheat it by just running out of bounds and going around everything. But at the same time, the point isn't to get to the end as fast as possible. The point is to navigate the obstacle course in a satisfying way for the runner, for the doer of the obstacle course. From a writing perspective, the doer of that obstacle course is you, the person who builds the obstacle course, which means you have to have an understanding of why you can't put the mud pit that far away from the rope used to cross it. Or if you're going to put a, you know, a, a five foot thing that somebody has to scale, you have to provide some way of scaling it. Or if we're going to, you know, run down through this area of brambles, you have to make sure that there's space to do so. Organizing your obstacle course and understanding that the, the movement from place A to place B is in part the plot shaped and affected by genre makes a difference because the reader is going to come along and go, okay, I'm here for an obstacle course. I'm here entirely because what I want to do and deal with is go from point A to point B and have a good time running this course. Shaping that and expressing that and understanding that means we have to go all the way back when we're doing this. We have to go all the way back to building, how we're building, what we're writing, what we're doing, what's going on, how do we make this work, which means being able to look at the progression. That's why I harp on this so much. That's why it's as critical as it is, because what we're trying to get to isn't so much a sense of every story of this kind of type or that kind of type do the same thing. Or, and it's not even a matter of every story written by this author is functionally the same with just some new characters swapped in and swapped out. 
It's the idea that if we are telling this or that kind of story, here are the bounds, here are the limitations, here's the way we stay and tell this story in a way that is engaging to a reader, no matter what obstacle courses they have run in the past, no matter what they are expecting of this obstacle course currently, and no matter what kind of challenges they're hoping to overcome or easily overcome. We want to give them a good time, which means we need to look at our plots somewhat critically. That said, because I just talked about speed, I do want to talk about pacing. We didn't talk about this with character arcs because that's not really a thing we generally tie to character arc, though it does matter. But I think it's easier to talk about pacing when it comes to talking about plots, whether that's main plots or subplots or anything in between. Uh, Pacing is the idea of how quickly we're moving from one piece of development to another piece of development. How how much time passes. Now, I don't mean like narrative in story time. On a Tuesday, we find this clue, and on a Wednesday, we find that clue. I mean more like when you're writing it, how, how much space, how much time, how much thinking, how much stuff happens in between having one big serious thing happen and another. If you're writing a heist... And our first, you know, sort of piece of development is to understand the enormity of the building we're trying to get into and how hard it's going to be to get into. And then our next piece of development is discovering that the thing we're trying to steal is, you know, either super massive or mega tiny. It's going to change the way we engage with how we're doing all the stuff we're doing. How much time and space those two discoveries get independent of each other matters. Because if we want the enormity of this building to make the heist feel harder and tougher, we probably want to spend more space on a thing and make the building feel large and make the building feel, you know, hard to navigate so that there's a, an implied level of challenge when we get to the object. And then once we start talking about the object, we are, you know, taking that level of challenge of, oh, my God, the building's huge. There's so many rooms. Where are we going to find the thing? Whatever it is. And when we suddenly subvert it and go, yeah, but that thing's like roughly the size of like a pen. It should be pretty easy to get out. The problem is that, you know, here's a new complication. There are a thousand objects that are more or less the same size, shape, color, and texture. So who knows if we grab the right one. If you're going to do something like that, how much time, space, story stuff, words, sentences, paragraphs you dedicate to a particular thing in order to not just physically describe it, but give it a sense of import or context in the story, that's what affects your pacing. It isn't that you, you know, just have people do a lot of things. It's each of the things they do, be it one thing, 10 things, 30 things, 60 things, whatever. Each thing they do has to be put into context relative to the things around it, as well as sort of using it as a stepping stone towards things well ahead of it. If we're going to talk about how, you know, we have to get the magical single gem that's, you know, two inches by two inches square, and then we have to do it out of one particular treasure trove, and it's a million billion gems, and we'll never know if we grab the right one, setting up that context matters. Because if it's just a matter of, oh, go go in the gallery and steal steal a painting, and it's, you know, painting sized, whatever that might be then we're reducing some challenge and we're making the story feel like, well, it's not really that big a deal, so we can go a little faster. If you want things to be a big deal, control your pacing. When writers start to sweat and worry about pacing, it's never, it's never fixable. Let's say it this way. It's never just fixable by making sure that you space things out. 
because you can space things out and still under or overdevelop things. So even if you have, you know, 60 pages of monologue and dialogue and subplots, you know, keeping our main plot separated, it can still feel rushed because of how much time and space you're dedicating to contextualizing the stuff that happens. Most of the time, pacing is fixed through organization and honestly not overthinking the pacing. If you craft the story so that looking at our hierarchy of plot, looking at our progression from one thing to the next, looking at how we're rolling the story forward, the pacing is going to take care of itself. It's not something that we hyper need to worry about unless we're unsure what all the steps, all the links in the chain from point A to point B beginning to end are. If we're sweating, oh my God, I don't know how to do this, then yes, pacing can be an issue if you, you know, skip a few links or shortcut something or fail to contextualize something. But by and large, pacing will handle itself so long as everything you are laying forward, everything you're putting out into the story, you contextualize relative to something that's come before and giving yourself an opportunity to keep things moving forward. Pacing handles itself in the same way that when we're driving a car, while we need to be aware that, you know, the car is moving forward, we've got a foot on it on the accelerator and the wheel is relatively pointing where we want the car. We don't always every second have to make like like they do in TV, a thousand million constant, you know, wiggle the wheel left and right kind of a thing in order to keep this car straight. That straightness that that forward momentum of the car thanks to physics will relatively handle itself assuming the road is straight or there's no traffic or obstacles to navigate we don't have to constantly lift and lower the wheel by a few inches or centimeters to account for the uh, impression or illusion of driving it'll handle itself trust a lot of those um, supporting secondary things will handle themselves the other thing that will handle itself, at least in terms of taking a story apart, and we'll wrap up our, our three-part series on this with tomorrow, uh, is world building. Some of that will handle itself relative to the needs of the story, but that we'll talk about tomorrow. Today, what I want you to do is give some thought to plot, subplot, and genre, and just how you're navigating and how you're laying out that obstacle course, as well as how you navigate it in other people's stories as just a reader, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.